Welcome to the Booktopia Podcast. I'm Ben Hunter. I'm here again with Sarah McJulian, crime devourer, fellow Booktopian, and we are together with our friend Candice Fox. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. I love coming here. Oh, we love it. when you come here. I see it in my calendar and I go, ah, oh, two days to go. You know? yeah. <laughs> uh, good. Yeah. yeah, it's the friendliest place on earth. It's like Disneyland Aww. here. Yeah. I feel so warm and fuzzy right before we start talking about this crime novel. <laughs> <laughs> this bonkers crime novel, which yeah. I've just finished Wonderful reading. Bonkers. Um, Good. Gathering Dark is the name of the book. Yep. Which we're just discussing titles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Proposed titles. Um, and I think it's absolutely mental. Would you, oh, <laughs> like, to, would you like to tell us a bit about it? Um, yes. Well, I'll tell, I'll tell you what it's about. Um, it's about... Um, well, there are two ladies. Uh, one of them is Blair Harbour. Um, she uh, was a very successful, very rich uh, surgeon, paediatric surgeon living in Brentwood, having like the perfect life and, and pregnant and all this kind of stuff. And she was locked up for um, murdering her neighbour. Um, so she's done 10 years and she's out now and she's trying to live a clean kind of life when somebody pops up from her past in prison um, and says, you know what, my daughter's missing, the police won't help me. Will you help me? You know, you're smart type of thing. <laughs> um, and then you have Jessica Sanchez who um, uh, is, is has always had a difficult relationship with the LAPD and it's just become you know, really, really bad because she has inherited a seven and a half million dollar Brentwood mansion um, as a reward for solving a cold case. Um, the father of one of the victims left her this house. So her colleagues do not like that at all. Um, and she's thinking about whether to take it or not. And then Blair Harbour turns up on her doorstep and says, hey, you know, uh, you arrested me for murder 10 years ago, but I need help. <laughs> um, me and my friend need help solving a case. Um, so the, t the three of those ladies go and they recruit um, Ada Maverick, a, um, a gang crime lord kind of overworld figure to help them. So it's four uh, troubled Clever, <laughs> weird ladies with Very questionable ladies. past solving a crime together, yeah. It's a wonderful dynamic. Oh, thank you. I said before the podcast, it kind of reminded me of a, a, a gritty crime novel version of the Harley Quinn crew. Yeah. Because yeah. like strong women, really different. Yeah. They sort of don't have many reasons to trust each other or work together, but circumstances have brought them together mm, for this mm. goal. And it's fascinating oh good it's i like putting people together who don't go together and they don't necessarily like each other and they have to work together because i find there's nothing more boring than reading a crime novel and the two you know the the buddy team they get on really well and they're high-fiving and, and yeah. there's sexual chemistry and will they you know and they love each other and they work really well together it's like they're so boring We've seen that. We've seen that, Let's yeah. Let's have something different. Yeah, <laughs> and I just like conflict and chaos in human relationships, which makes me a, um, a devoted Married at First Sight fan. <laughs> I just love watching people yell at each other and try to communicate and they can't communicate with each other properly mm. and there's misunderstandings and, and histories and trauma and, and that's what I was trying to do here, yeah. Good. You certainly have. I've, I feel a bit traumatised myself. It's, it's <laughs> great. Oh, good. Um, who's, we were immediately talked about who we gravitated for, who we root for in this book. Um, Snake. 
Yes, Sarah and I love this character, Snake. Snake, yeah. Um, tell us a bit about Snake, but but um, also tell us about like who's you got two perspectives that like shift yeah. one from mm. the other. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful balance that just goes seamlessly. Vroom, vroom, vroom. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, who's the hero of the book? Uh, and mm. I think Blair. You think, but Blair? I didn't write the book, so we should ask. <laughs> <laughs> she would she would fit the hero role, uh, you know, because she's soulful and um, gentle, and she has a good heart, and she's trying to do her best. And mm. I think that that's what your typical hero—that's the hero mold. Um, but there are people in the novel who do heroic things, like for example, um, Jessica is asking oh. herself whether or not. Blair was innocent this whole time yeah. and has she put someone in jail for 10 years and ruined her relationship with her child or like ruined her life really and made this incredible mistake and it's heroic for her to even question that because I think that, that sometimes police, you know, or just people in general, they, they think to themselves, well, I'm not going to open that can of worms because it's possible I made a mistake and that's too scary to think about so I'm just going to leave it, you know. Um, but Jessica doesn't let it go. <clears throat> yeah, she doesn't yeah. let it go. And so that's heroic, I think. And Sneak is a very problematic person. <laughs> she is very wacky. She is a, a functioning addict um, and a prostitute and... Um, she has just started trying to build a relationship with her daughter Daly, her adult daughter, who she had with a, a criminal, <laughs> you know. Um, so she's trying to make an attempt at being a good mum when her whole life is just – she's no one's idea mm. of a good mum, but she's yeah. like, hey, I'm going to give this try, and that's a little bit heroic. Probably the person who's not heroic in the whole thing is Ada because she is just out for herself. She's um, genuinely terrifying, but in the most <laughs> impressive way. Unpredictably <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I was trying to channel – you know what I was trying to channel with her is like early days – um, Al Swearingen from <gasps> Deadwood. Oh, yeah. Because he, he gets gentle in that series towards the end, Al Swearingen. But in the start, every time you cut to Al Swearingen, he's doing something which is so Al Swearingen, like he's organising a beating or he's trying to steal something or he's trying yeah. – it's always it's always evil. And, and I found myself watching Deadwood – and every time they cut and I see him, I'd go, oh, yes. Like, I'm excited <laughs> to see what he's doing because he's not going to be washing the dishes no. or, you know, he's he's got some one of his prostitutes going down on him or something and yeah. he's pulling her hair and being a total jerk. And, like, it's just it's, – it's really intense stuff. Yeah. So I wanted it to be every time you see Ada on screen sort of thing in the book, she is just on as, as someone who is deliciously bad. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's what I, that's who I was channeling for that. Um, that's so interesting and she anchors every that. scene that she's in, even yeah. these wild <laughs> yeah. confrontations. <laughs> she's a center of, <laughs> likes to be the center of attention. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and she's that perfect kind of character who's, is genuinely terrifying, but leaves you in just enough doubt that she has a soft spot like maybe, yeah, maybe. that you you want to see it you want to see that play out yeah, like yeah, yeah 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 i find it really interesting when you have bad bad people interact with an animal in some way because animals i have animals all throughout all of my books even the ones with jp and um 
animals are like the spiritual neutral like they can't help what they are so they're always sort of good um they're, they're like they're, I, I think to myself there are no bad dogs there are just dogs who sort of have been made to act bad um so when you have a human being you interact with an animal it's kind of like you you're testing the moral nature of that person um and so yeah there's a there's a thing in there where ada sort of helps with the rescue of an animal and it's like did she do that because of her heart or did she do that you know for to to gain something or yeah. you, know, you got a question that's the closest you yes. get to her ever being good is that yes. who she is deep down someone yeah. who would help a defenseless creature yeah 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 or did she have another motive yeah yes and it makes you question what's her motive for helping um uh, neighbor and snake yeah. Blair and snake yeah. um who are both um they're both trying to get their daughters back their their children back yeah um yeah Blair has a son I should say um and that's they're so unlikely as a pair yeah. but they both have this same motive yes and you're a mum now too I am a mum now too <laughs> I, <laughs> should I tell the story about about <laughs> Meeting Violet for the first time. I think people would enjoy that. I, I kind of think you have to. I have to now. If you watch the time lapse um, of me signing books, you might see me making a particular gesture, which will relate to this story. Um, so, I, yeah, I became a mother recently. My daughter Violet is seven and a half months old now. And um, the birth was really traumatic, um, you know, because people had said to me the whole pregnancy, you'll either decide to have drugs um, or you will decide not to have drugs. And those are the two things that will happen. And about 10 minutes into labor, I said, I'll have my drugs now, thanks. I've had enough of this whole, you know, I said to myself, I want a little taste of what labor is all about because I want to know what women are talking about when they say childbirth is the worst pain, you know, of human experience. And then they said, no, they said, you can't have any drugs. I was like, sorry, what? And they said, no, you can't have any because you have preeclampsia and you might have a stroke. And I was like, well, no one told me because it's all about you got to have a birth plan. you got to have a birth plan. And this was not in the plan. So I got I got really religi- religious on the table. I was like, please, God. <laughs> um, it was bad. Um, but then that magical moment where you see your baby for the first time <laughs> was a bit strange for me because I was so – ready to see is it a boy or a girl is it a boy or a girl uh, and this secret you know i don't like secrets i don't like mysteries i like finding stuff out so for nine months i've been waiting to find out is it a boy or a girl and as soon as she came out i was staring at the ceiling and i said is it a boy or a girl like tell me and the midwife picked her up and turned her around and shoved her vagina at me at my face it came within like three inches of my face i think and she was like holding her vagina holding it by the butt and the vagina like and go and she goes look for yourself and like i was like you could have just told me which one it was and i was so shocked by the whole birth that i i went whoa and i was looking and i was like what is that what <laughs> which one is that is that and i <laughs> And I, so the first thing I ever saw of Violet was her little vagina flying. What a precious first memory of your first one. Beautiful first contact. I was was trying so hard not to laugh throughout that whole story. I don't think I succeeded very well. You're a different colour than you started. (laughs) 
Well, I guess it's the eternal advice of writers is show, don't tell. Yes. Yes, that's true. Yes. But, oh yeah, God. maybe in it some was, circumstances. Yeah, it was so bizarre. It was mm. so bizarre, the, the whole experience. best thing about when you come to visit us, Candice, is that I always know you're going to have an amazing story to tell. <laughs> you never, ever, ever disappoint. Oh, good. That's good, yeah. <laughs> Dearie me. I couldn't just have like a normal, a normal person's birth because I'm not a normal person. How so. dull that would have been. Yes. Yes. Mm. Well, you watch all the videos and that and they've got the nice music and the baby comes out and the mother and the baby are looking at each other. Oh, there's this moment. <laughs> oh my God. Not for me. No. Nope. <laughs> Can I ask a few more questions about the book? Sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Um, Motherhood. Yes. Oh, chaos. Um, like violence but also comedy um Mm. how do you how do you find balance um how do you like hit like a a tuning fork and 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 make it work and yeah i i find that humor is important really important in crime because you can read an entire book and go oh this is so depressing and heavy this is a dead child and everyone's really upset and people are crying and um so i think it's like tension and sadness and grief in a book sort of swell up like a bubble and then you pop it with just a little bit of humor at the exact right time and then it kind of like it um, deflates and you let it, you know, build up again and again and then you pop it. I think it's, you know, you need to punctuate a novel with humour. And I also think that, you know, I've known a lot of cops as friends. I've dated cops. Um, I've known like law enforcement type people um, who have to deal with horrific things and they all have such a great sense of humour and mm. they will do that. They will you know, come in there with the right joke at the right time that just makes everyone go, oh, you know, it's, yeah. it's got to be timed perfectly and it has to be the right type of joke, but it sort of gives you enough um, strength to carry on through the darkness if you just have a little joke every now and then. And sometimes, you know, I just, I can't help myself. Um, <laughs> I love that you can't. It's great. <laughs> yeah, I, the thing about my first novel with James Patterson was he said this is really funny and it's not like my books aren't that funny you know I thought he was going to cut out all the swearing and he was like no no, no this, this is very humorous you know you need to turn down the lols turn it down. yeah turn down the lols Candace. yeah so yeah no yeah it's good good um, and um you mentioned before Ben Blair's uh, neighbor nickname which oh, yeah I love that this. is the- that was such a good killer name oh, is thanks. that like the neighbor killer yeah the neighbor killer because then everyone calls her neighbor and it's just i don't know i really hey liked neighbor, that neighbor. made me think of ned flanders <laughs> oh, <laughs> neighbor. Yeah. Hey, neighbor. um yeah everybody has a prison nickname um i think you know the prisons that i have known did i tell you i went to a maximum security prison just the other day did you see that no no, let, can you tell us about that? Sure. Fire away. <laughs> Fire away. Well, I just, um, uh, so my next book is going to have prisons in it as well. It's going to involve a breakout. So I thought to myself, I don't, I know a lot about the prison environment because my dad was a, a parole officer. And so I spent some time in prison, you know, with him. And um, I obviously, I visited a serial killer a couple of years ago in death row of San Quentin. But I said, I really want to ask some technical questions about prisons. And so I contacted a friend of mine who works for Corrections New South Wales. And like without much hope, I said to him, you think you could get me inside a prison for a tour? And he's like, yeah, what kind of prison do you want? Like, do you want a big one, small one, maximum <laughs> you security, could minimum? Yeah. They had different like, packages available. Yes. <laughs> 
He's like, do you want an old one, a new one? Anyway, so I went to Lithgow, maximum security prison. Lovely. And the governor um, of the prison is a woman named Faith Slatcher. And she showed me around everywhere. It was like access all areas. Um, and it was just the most insane experience. Well, I mean, I've had a lot of insane experiences, but... Um, so I was shopping for going to the prison the day before because it's actually way more difficult than you think to dress for prison because you're like, I don't, I, there are certain colours that you can't wear, <laughs> and then it's also Sorry. you don't want to, you don't want to be like, like this that I'm wearing right now is way too low cut, you know, oh, yeah. things like that. Like there's no cleavage whatsoever, no legs, nothing. What colours can't you wear? Well, the. Um, the uniform there is green, bottle green. So if there's a riot or something and the watchtower guys with their guns are like, who do I shoot? You know, they don't, don't want to mistake you for an inmate. Yeah. Um, and, you, you know, there are certain situations where like a um, you might wear some shoes in and then an inmate might swap with you if you have the, you know, that's how they smuggle things. Mm. So, yeah, so I went in there and they showed me all around. It was really amazing. They showed me the security systems and the heartbeat monitors that they scanned the trucks with to make sure there's only one person in the truck going in and out. I didn't and know they did that. Yeah, I know. stuff. I, I didn't know they did that. And then... Um, how are your characters going to escape? <laughs> yeah, I know, that's what I was like. How would you escape from here type of wow. thing? Like, how you know, I said to them, do you have a plan for if a helicopter comes in and... You know, because that's happened in Australia before. A helicopter flies in and grabs an inmate and flies yes, away. Yes, very famous. She's, yeah, and she said, yes, we have a plan for that. And I said, what is it? She goes, I can't tell you. <laughs> so, All right, there are the things you can't tell me. Wow. Um, it's a big net. <laughs> um, my, I suspect it's just we just light the helicopter up. We just shoot it. Yeah. We just shoot it to the ground. Um, but Grim. I have no evidence to back that up. <laughs> that's what I would do. Um, uh, so I went into a room though, cause I was thinking the whole time I'm thinking, I don't want something to happen to me. Like, um, they were talking about how spitting is on the rise in Australian prisons. There's a lot of spitting going on. They, they keep a, a spit tally. Yeah, they do. Yes. They, they have the spitometer. And then there's a, <laughs> not really. But, um, and someone had been punched the day before inside the prison. Uh, an officer had been punched um, and this kind of thing. And I thought, I don't want anything to happen to me. Um, luckily, the worst thing that happened was an inmate uh, like grabbed his his front right. junk. He, he grabbed a handful of his and front he, he junk. was like, look at me, look at this, like get a load of this type of thing. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I've had that happen to me outside prison. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you're in a club or something and a guy goes... Look at this. And you go, yeah, that's mm. right. thank you. It's very impressive. I have now looked. Um, but it was... So it, not too bad. Yeah, not too bad. Um, we went into a room and there were like 50 of them in there, this workshop. And they were making hospital sheets and uh, putting together the headphones for a certain Australian airline that I will not name. Um, yeah, there's, one, there's an airline in Australia. If you get those free headphones, they've probably been put together by inmates in prison. And, um, yeah, uh, you could just feel the whole dynamic. It was like walking into a room with a bunch of lions wow. and they all kind of go, whoa, there's a human in here. They're like, what should we do? Should we go over there? Should we pounce? Should we claw her to death type of thing? And then the governor was just like, okay, we've got to get out before they do something because 
this is a room full of Australia's most dangerous men and they're all constantly trying to impress each other. And so it was really kept on lockdown that I was coming. All the staff knew, but it was really short notice. We didn't want the inmates to find out in case someone was like, I'll spit on her or something. So... So I walked in and there were, everywhere you go in the prison, there are people pacing, pacing, pacing. It's like a psychological thing when people are in captivity, they pace. And there were these guys pacing around the room, two guys, and they went right past us on their route, like sort of accidentally. And then by the time they got around, there was four guys. And then they get another lap, there were six guys. And the governor was like, okay, we need to go. Wow. Because we don't want an incident type of thing. But you know what? They um they got my books out of the library and they at the prison library and they said, "Can you sign them all?" And they said, "Can you write a cheeky message in all of them?" So what I, did you write? I wrote stuff <laughs> like, uh, "Dear Lithgow inmates, um, uh, really enjoyed my visit. Don't think I'll stay." <laughs> um, and uh, like, uh, "Dear Lithgow inmates, behave yourselves and and all this." And uh, that's cool. It was that's cool. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How very strange. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. This is the stuff I get to do as a that crime so writer. Cool. It's so cool because mm. I think if anyone else just popped up and said, hey, can I have a visitor to your prison? They'd be like, no. Like, who the hell are you? But I got to uh, pop up and say, hey, I'm Candace Fox. Can I, can I come in? And they were like, sure. Come on come in. in. Come on in. Yeah. We've got just the package for you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, we're running out of time. Um, yeah. uh, this book is awesome. Thank uh, you. Tell us a little bit about writing about LA as opposed to writing about Australia. Yeah, well, I lived in LA for a year. I found it very crimey, yep. uh, which is exactly <laughs> what I like. You know, it's a very overt kind of danger. Like you, you look in and you say, where is the danger? Oh, it's over there. You know, like these guys oh. are standing on the corner or this person is... You know, my husband and I, um, we were looking at, at um, West Hollywood to live. And so we walked up the street um, just one night. We were going to the cinema and a big guy, uh, he was covered in tattoos. He had no shirt. He walked out from this like grassy area with a, a chain link fence and he went and beat his chest like this, like a gorilla. And we were like, okay, let's go to the other side of the street. So he went to the other <laughs> side. Let's just not make eye contact with him. And we walked to the other side of the street and a guy was... It was a hill and he was rolling down the hill on a desk chair and he was, he was like, lay, he lay all the way back in the desk chair and he was just looking at the sky and as he was going down, he was twirling. Oh my God. And he, he was just rolling all the way down the hill and he would clunk over the gutter and clunk back up onto the gutter and... Was and he like conscious? <laughs> yeah, he was, he was a, a bit just obviously very drug affected. And we were like, okay, let's change wow. back to the other side of the street type of thing. It's so, wow. LA is just so happening. bizarre. It's happening. Yeah. And I, you know, in six months I had called 911 and I had shouted to a crowd, someone call 911. And um, I had, I had also been pulled over by like a, I said to Tim, I want to get pulled over by a highway sheriff with like the aviator sunglasses yes. and I want it to happened? S- yeah I want to say to him I said I want to say to him what seems to be the problem officer because <laughs> I was like I have to do that it's one it's on my bucket list and so I did that um so it was just fantastic and so I was like I want to write about this town because that's great and you have yeah I love it yeah yeah and this may potentially be the first book in a 
ongoing series with these yeah, characters? Yeah, I'm always happy to pick up any of my characters and, like, if there was a time where there would be more Crimson Lakes, I would do that at any time, or more Bennett Archer. Everyone says, ah, oh, you know, because I left the Bennett Archer series in a really yeah. precarious place, <laughs> and also I get yelled at a lot for that. Um, so, yes, I have written this, and I thought I would just see what everyone thinks of it. Uh, but my <laughs> I next love that you're lovingly polishing the I'm book. stroking <laughs> it uh, it's got embossing uh, feeling the embossing um, yeah it's I really enjoyed writing it and I would totally write about these characters again but we'll just see we how it goes we would read about them again I'd love to oh, read good. about them again yeah and I've got more stuff coming up with JP we have potentially the first book in a new series coming up uh, next I've just finished that Ooh, excellent yeah. and that's set in LA great so, yeah so I'm busy. Oh, awesome. I'm just busy. <laughs> a busy person. When is that one out in the world? I don't even know. Okay. Like August, I think. Oh, that's not too far. Yeah. It, it'll be in edit until then. But don't uh, don't quote me on that. Just watch the website and I'll... <laughs> when I, as I get dates... Just go on booktopia.com.au. Yeah, I will, go to, I will give them to you. Um, awesome. Yeah. Candice, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thanks for it's having me. It's been very entertaining. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Just varied topics. <laughs> Been everywhere in this talk. You can get all of Candice's books, including her latest and greatest, Gathering Dark, at booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening to the Booktopia podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if your eyeballs need a workout, check us out on YouTube at Booktopia TV. And don't forget, for all books featured on this episode and all episodes of the Booktopia podcast, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at www.booktopia.com.au.